Speaking the truth to the state capitol, this is Drive Time Lincoln with the commander, Jack Riggins, on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Well, happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Drive Time Lincoln. As we kick off the weekend, it's 508, 83 degrees outside. I tell you what, um, the weather is going to be pretty good this weekend. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I'm Doug Fitzgerald filling in for the commander, Jack Riggins. Jack is taking uh, some time off this week. He's going to be back in the seat on Monday. So uh, Johnny's running the board, and he's producing the show for us today. Johnny, here's the cool thing. We have a special night at Salt Dogs um, this weekend. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, is KLIN Listener Night. Yep. And uh, we have Caleb Henry, our news director, is going to be throwing out the first pitch. So I text Caleb today to find oh, out, to get his official statement on Drive Time Lincoln, what's the pitch he's going to throw? What do you think it is? Well, they've been talking about it all week on the morning yeah. show. Did, but, he, uh, did he give it away there? Uh, not that I remember. I got um, it, man. Is, is it more than just the fastball? It's going to be a four-seam fastball. All right. So I said, <laughs> Caleb, right. get it up to 90, man. Get it up to 90. <laughs> make us proud. So anyway, the first pitch tomorrow night is 7.05. It's KLAN night and part of the Fan appreciate day, Appreciation Days for the Salt Dogs. They will have select tall boys. For two bucks. So Caleb might have to have that before he does the throw oh, just man, to yeah. get it to the catcher. So anyway, we wish him luck. And anyway, uh, Johnny, are you, what are you doing this weekend? Do you have any plans? I'm going to be camping all weekend. All right. I uh, made sure that I was going to be here for Drive Time Lincoln first. Absolutely. And then, yep, heading over to Branch Joke tonight and... That's where I'll be this weekend. You need to go to the observatory. Oh, absolutely. You know, we had uh, we had them on uh, last Friday, and it sounds like a, a great place to go. So check and, that I out. mean, I wasn't here on Friday, but I listened to the episode. And Matt Anderson does Matt a great Anderson, job out there. He's been in here a number of times, and a friend of mine at this point. So, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, we got a great, uh, great practical and informative show lined up for today. Uh, we're going to be talking about guns. And unfortunately, there's been another wave of mass shootings happening in the U.S. lately. And it seems that every time that there's been a mass shooting um, that makes the news, there's always a cry uh, to politicians by a large number of Americans to pass the, a new assault weapons ban or to push the repeal for Second Amendment. And so I thought we'd bring in an expert in the area of far, firearm law and to really help us break down and get a clearer understanding of what's being discussed in the news and politically uh, regarding guns and gun safety. So our guest today is Lincoln attorney and one of the top gun rights and law attorneys in the state, Dick Clark. He's been practicing law in Nebraska since 2011. He's part of State Senator Tom Brewer's legal counsel focusing on uh, concealed carry of guns and the preservation of Second Amendment's uh, rights here in the state as well. Uh, he's also provided legal counsel and representation for a variety of clients across the state state, including hundreds of individuals and dozens of businesses, nonprofit organizations, and government officials as well. And his area of particular interest include criminal defense, firearms law, uh, business formation and development trusts, and estate planning as well. So, Dick, welcome to Drive Time Lincoln. This is not the first time you've been on, though. No, thanks for having me back, Doug. Absolutely. We had you on a, a little over a year ago. I was looking back at the calendar, and we had a great discussion then. And obviously, I think it's really good that uh, you come in today and really help us understand what's going on from a, from the gun standpoint and the firearm standpoint in our country and also in our state. I'd like to start really start out really from a broad perspective and then narrow it down to how it Im- impacts Nebraskans today. Um, but it seems like every time something happens in regards to uh, a mass shooting that we always see this Push for people to repeal the Second Amendment. Uh, just share with us what is the Second Amendment, and why was you know what did the founding fathers have in mind when they when they put that in place? 
So the Second Amendment recognizes a right that the framers believed they already had, right? Uh, they, they thought it was a God-given right. Some of them would have described it as a, a natural right. And they believed that it was a right that had previously been guaranteed by the unwritten constitutions of England, okay? And so that right was to privately keep serviceable defensive arms and to be able to bear or carry those arms. Uh, and, of course, it's called an amendment because it wasn't part of the original text, in 1791, the Bill of Rights was adopted because of these grave concerns that the anti-federalists had about this new, very powerful central state that had been created by this new U.S. Constitution uh, adopted two years before in 1789. And so this really was intended to be a safeguard against future growth in the federal government's power. Mm -hmm. uh, now, a lot of people read the Second Amendment and they believe that because it starts out with what we call the Militia Clause, that it only applies to people acting as part of a militia on behalf of some state. And you hear that a lot. And now, a little aside there, I will mention, you can open up the Nebraska statute book, and in fact, we define two categories of militia in the state of Nebraska. There is the active militia, which is the Nebraska National Guard, and then the reserve militia, which is everybody else who's subject to militia service. So if you want to get an idea of who Nebraska lawmakers have said are in the militia, that's where you find it. However, the Supreme Court said actually the militia clause doesn't place a limitation on the Second Amendment. Uh, they call it a, a, a preface or what they call a precatory clause. So the idea they're explaining in the militia clause part of their motivation for this recognition of the right in that second clause, the operative clause. So that first clause doesn't say you can, you know, only if you're in a militia can you have guns. They're aspiring, saying we want people to be able to participate in the common defense, and because that is our desire, we recognize this right that's in the people, mm -hmm. right, that it shall not be infringed. So what's the likelihood of that being repealed? Uh, I think it's pretty close to zero right now. To, to outright repeal the Second Amendment or any other provision of the Constitution requires a supermajority of states, right. uh, you know, state legislatures ratifying that amendment. And of course, either Congress would have to propose that amendment or there'd have to be a convention of the states called to, pro you know, to propose that or other amendments to the Constitution. So I think practically speaking, that is not going to happen anytime in the near future. You've worked with the state legislature in regards to preserving the Second Amendment right here for Nebraska. What does that look like? What did that entail? And, and where are you in that process? Yeah, so I, I do, as you mentioned, help Senator Brewer with the bills that he chooses to introduce. I also help other senators who ask for it. I actually am the committee legal counsel for the government committee. So okay. we do elections law, we do public records, all sorts of things. Uh, as it relates to firearms, the bills that have been introduced by state senators who believe in that right to keep and bear arms and want to protect it, I mean, some of them address sort of technical details in our state concealed handgun permit program. Uh, just last year, we enacted some changes that make sure you get a notice before your permit expires, give you a little grace period after it expires to renew before you have to retake the class. So some little technical things like that. Uh, some bills uh, from other senators are more focused on changes to the criminal code, proposing things like stand your ground laws or, or an enhanced castle doctrine law. Uh, and, of course, the last gun debate that we saw in the Nebraska legislature was related to permitless carry, right. uh, a bill introduced by Senator Tom Brewer, what people usually call constitutional carry. So uh, so in regards to the Second Amendment, then, is there anything um, that you're working on in that regard in regards to the state of Nebraska? Yeah, so... I I did help Senator Brewer uh, draft that bill that he introduced this year, LB mm -hmm. 773, which proposed permitless 
uh, concealed carry in Nebraska. You wouldn't have to pay a fee or take a government test in order to exercise your civil rights. Uh, and that bill came up short by two votes on the second round of regular debate, what we call select file. And uh, we have already put in the drafting request for the version that Senator Brewer intends to introduce next January. Uh, I know he is very optimistic that with the turnover of a bunch of seats in the legislature, at least 15, perhaps more, that that different composition of the legislature could give us a better shot at passing that bill. But what that would do, again, is just say you don't have to ask for permission or pay a fee or take a test to exercise your civil rights. And, Doug, I'm from a part of the country originally, from the Deep South, where they used to make people take a test and pay a fee to vote. And now, let me tell you, an uninformed vote is a dangerous thing. But you know what? That test and that fee, it wasn't really about civic responsibility. It was about preventing people from accessing their civil rights. Mm. And we know that that was the motive, even though they had this, you know, pretense of some wholesome reason. And I would argue that gun control laws, laws that put roadblocks in between people and their right to keep and bear arms, are disproportionately used against the same sort of communities that those poll taxes were used against. And if you want to look at the first targets of gun control in America, you can look at people that are related to my boss, Tom Brewer, you know, Native Americans. Uh, In fact, on the floor of the legislature this year, he read one of the first gun control laws in America from 1648 in Massachusetts. And it said that there was a mandatory minimum sentence that included a public lashing for anybody that provided arms or ammunition or repaired any uh, arms for the so-called savage Indian. Of course, racist language, but they were just a little bit more honest about how their gun control laws were going to be used back then. Unfortunately, that's still how they're used today. And, uh, you know, somebody that looks like me and you is just less likely to end up on the business end of one of these gun control laws than the people who maybe don't look like us. Right. So. It's 517. You're listening to Drive Time Lincoln on 1499.3 KLIN. And we're talking with Lincoln attorney Dick Clark in regards to guns, gun safety, gun laws, and all that. Uh, now, Dick, here's the thing. Um, we've seen a lot of mass shootings in schools, and that's really impacted people. And now we're, now we're hearing um, all over in the news um, that we want to have an assault weapons ban passed. And that's uh, pretty much all we're hearing at this point. I know Congress, you had mentioned that Congress had actually um, done some work today um, right. and passing uh, some legislation there at least at least moving it forward or trying to move it forward um, let's talk about that I also want to talk about the school shootings as well because before we got on the air you were really talked about um, what are some great ways to actually help prevent um, these shootings or at least help protect our kiddos as well but let's go back to the uh, assault weapons ban 1994 initially we had an assault weapons ban it banned several types of guns um, you know um, uh, uh, and this was like what eight years ago or so when uh, that ban completed itself. You said you actually were on the air uh, when that ban uh, went out of effect. What is that ban? And then how do and they're looking at bring, trying to bring that back as well. What are the parameters within those bans that they're trying to push? So first off, this, this phrase assault weapon right. doesn't really have any firm technical meaning. It's, it's a political jargon word, okay, or political jargon phrase. The way that the assault weapons ban worked is it identified a bunch of sort of individual characteristics of a gun, things like a threaded barrel, an adjustable stock, a bayonet lug, you know, uh, barrel shrouds, these various features that appeared on guns that they thought looked scary. Okay, they're really not things that change the operation of the firearm, but it said if you had more than X number of those features, then you couldn't make that firearm. And so what you had during the assault weapons ban 
AR-15s were still widely available. AK pattern rifles were still widely available, but instead of having a thread-on flash hider, it was pinned and welded mm-hmm. or uh, to the barrel. Uh, you had a fixed stock instead of a telescoping stock. So really, these are features that make the item safer uh, and more ergonomic for the user, don't really change the force that you can project with it. But I will tell you, I worked in a gun store during the assault weapons ban. We still sold all of those rifles that people unfortunately are misinformed and think didn't exist during that period. Uh, the other thing that it did is it limited magazine capacity to 10 rounds for new sales of magazines to, to non-law enforcement or military. But I can tell you, I was working gun shows right up to the very end of the assault weapons ban, and uh, we still had new old stock of 30-round magazines for ARs. So that stuff really never disappeared from the market. And I think that the drop in crime that happened during that period cannot be attributed to the gun law. I think that there was just an extreme peak in violence in the in the late seventies all the way through the mid nineties. And then we saw in you know all states in the country violent crime drop off a cliff. Unfortunately it's come back in a big way in the last couple of years. So what is Congress trying to push through now? Yeah specifically so t- today, in fact, uh HR twenty three seventy seven did pass in the House of Representatives. Okay, and that was today? That was today, just okay. a few hours ago. Uh, that includes a number of different provisions. Uh, notably, it includes basically federal incentives, federal dollars for states that enact red flag laws. Uh, it would raise the age limit for some firearms from 18 to 21. And by the way, I'd mention that provision in a California law has been struck down as unconstitutional okay. by a federal circuit court. So that may already be a dead letter. Uh, they want to clamp down on homemade firearms. They want to impose safe storage mandates. Uh, and so... A, a bill that does those things actually passed out of the House today pretty much on a party-line vote. Now, I think it's probably going to fail in the Senate right. because it would take a 60 to be to filibuster in the Senate, and that's not going to happen, I don't think. Uh, but those are the kind of things that some people want to do. Another part of it is it would have it would have forbidden the manufacture and sale of new magazines with over 15-round capacity. So it wouldn't impact most handguns, but would uh, impact these semi-automatic rifles that, that folks like to talk about. Well, let's talk about let's talk about the AR-15. Yes. You know, people talk about that quite a bit. Um, what does AR? I want let's I want to um, uh, get your understanding. What does AR stand in the term AR-15? Because a lot of people think it's it's assault rifle, yeah, and right. that's not the truth. No, so it's it's Armalite rifle, uh, and it was just the fifteenth pattern that they that they sort of went through in their development. So Armalite rifle just refers to the people that the original designer of the platform, uh, not even really the first major manufacturer of it, uh, became better known as something that was manufactured by Colt for the U.S. military, mm-hmm. of course, and called the M16. So. And uh, ghost guns, that's another thing that we hear about as yeah. well. What are ghost guns and, and why do they want those banned? So ghost gun, really catchy term. A, a, probably a more accurate term is just a privately manufactured firearm. So right now, it's legal under both federal law and in most states to make your own gun. Okay. If you are a commercial manufacturer, you have to get licensed by the federal government. You have to comply with certain requirements related to record keeping, related to engraving, sort of make, model, and serial number information right. on the firearm. Private hobbyists who make a gun don't have to do those same things. And so... uh the proposal is to basically clamp down, prohibit people from making their own firearms. But unfortunately, people writing these laws don't know much about guns, and they've even included words like assemble, so they could actually criminalize somebody taking apart their firearm for cleaning and then reassembling it. I mean, that, it's just unfortunate because they don't really understand the problem and so right. they don't understand how to tackle it. Uh, but the fact is, 
it's legal to make a gun for the purpose of enhancing your own collection. Okay. If you make it to sell it, you got to have paperwork from the feds or else you're committing a felony crime. And is there a big difference between an AR-15 and a regular rifle? Well, I mean, what is the main difference? Yeah, so the AR-15 is the most popular rifle in America. Right. Over 20 million of them have been sold. It fires one round every time you pull the trigger, right. just like every other semi-automatic rifle. Newer materials are used in this manufacturer. It looks scary. That's the difference. Right. And assault weapons, at least from what I understand, assault weapon technically would be a fully automatic gun versus a semi-automatic. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. All right. Uh, well, again, we've been talking uh, with uh, attorney Dick Clark. He's an expert in the area of firearms law, and we're going to keep around for the second half of the show. We've got some things we really want to talk about, how it impacts us individually as Nebraskans, and it's a great conversation. So glad that he stopped by the studio and that we have him here today. It is 524. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Drive Time Lincoln on 1499.3 KLIN. You're getting the 411 from DTL with Commander Jack Riggins on 1499.3 KLIN. Welcome back to Drive Time Lincoln. It's 528, 83 degrees outside. This weekend, the forecast is going to be great. Uh, tomorrow and Sunday, our high is going to be right around 90. And then we're going to kick into summer because we're looking at 90s and next weekend in the hundreds. Uh, so it's going to be hit, you know, it's going to hit us pretty hard coming into next weekend. All right. Keys of the city brought to us by uh, Lincoln mattress and furniture. We appreciate them and we appreciate uh, all that they're doing to provide uh, some great prizes for people along the way. Today's business is wild bird habitat store. And the keyword is metal So What you want to do is go to KLN.com and you're going to check on uh, the keys to the city, put in the keyword and you're going to be registered to win $50, a gift card of $50 to Wild Bird Habitat Store. And I tell you what, uh, they've got two locations uh, in, in and around Lincoln. One is in the Alamo Plaza at 56 and Highway 2, and the second one is at North, uh, on their north uh, location at 4900 Dudley Street. And they provide everything from bird feeders to uh, to habitat uh, houses for birds and all kinds uh, for, uh, for, for that. Actually, I utilized them several years ago when we got our Purple Martin house. Uh, Johnny, which is really cool, and we had them put that up. So make sure you go to KLIN to register for that $50 gift card from Wild Bird Habitat Store. You can actually go into their store and register, and there you'll be able to register for all the grand prizes of every gift card uh, that's provided for the Keys to City business. That is a $1,000 value, so we want to make sure that you do that. Well, coming up next, we'll check in with Fox, Fox News and KLIN News. You're listening to Drive Time Lincoln on 1499.3 KLIN. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Drive Time Lincoln. 
with the commander, Jack Riggins, on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We want to thank you for joining us on your drive home today. It's 536 in Lincoln, and I'm Doug Fitzgerald filling in for the commander today. Jack's going to be back in the seat uh, on Monday. Now, we've been having a very fun and informative and practical conversation with Lincoln attorney Dick Clark today. Uh, he's one of the top gun rights and law attorneys in the state and has been providing legal counsel and representation for a variety of clients across the state of Nebraska, including our government uh, and hundreds of individuals as well. Um, in the first segment, uh, Dick, we discussed uh, specifics in regards to the Second Amendment, details about uh, gun control laws that they're trying to push through right now um, uh, from Congress. Uh, But what I wanted to do in this segment is really bring it down to how does this impact the individual here in Nebraska and really continue to educate people uh, in regards to um, gun purchases and all that kind of stuff. I want to start out with this segment is let's talk about um, purchasing a gun in the state of Nebraska from a store. What is the process to do that? Because I think a lot of people think you can just go in and just buy a gun. That's just not the case. Well, for a long gun, of course, you have to be old enough, and you have to have a government photo ID, and you go into the gun store, uh, they're going to perform a background check using a system that the FBI administers called the NICS system, which is National Instant Check System. If you have a Nebraska firearm purchase certificate, what we usually call a purchase permit, or if you have a Nebraska concealed handgun permit, the gun store can rely on that as proof of a background check. But either way, you have to be checked out and made sure that you're not a prohibited person, right? right? Somebody that's been convicted of a felony or misdemeanor crime and domestic violence or somebody who's been committed to a mental institution. Uh, or There's a number of other things that can make you a prohibited person. And that's what those background checks are designed to stop. Now, for handguns, uh, you do have to be 21 instead of just 18. Uh, and there's not the option of just doing the point-of-sale background check. To buy a handgun in Nebraska... You have to have either a purchase permit or a concealed handgun permit that you can present to that dealer at the point of sale, or else he can't sell you the gun. It'd be a crime. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of my friends that I've talked to about this who have never purchased a gun before, not realizing that you do have to go through a process, and there is a check. I mean, it's not like you can just go in and buy one. There's going to be a check there. The other thing I, I I'm curious about as well is, does that change? Obviously, if it's a if it's a person to person sale of a gun or a giving of a gun to somebody else individually, so. For long guns, again, it's it's a little different for those two categories, but for long guns, uh, a private individual can sell to another private individual so long as that buyer is not in one of those categories of what we call prohibited persons, Mm -hmm. right, for those reasons I described. Uh, Now, local ordinances here in Lincoln uh, make it clear that you can't really ever give possession of a firearm or, or even a BB gun to a juvenile. Uh, And so, of course, they'd have to be 18 or older. And if you have any reason at all to think that that they're going to commit a crime or that they may already have been convicted of a serious crime that would make them ineligible to have a gun, then it makes it a crime for you to do the transfer, for you to sell it to them. Uh, Now, for handguns, uh, they have to have either a purchase permit or a concealed handgun permit. Exact same requirement as exists for a gun store. Doesn't matter whether you're buying from a store or an individual for a handgun in Nebraska. You have to have one of those permits. Really, the only exception to that is for close family members, uh, and that's really... So, like, a husband can give his wife a handgun mm-hmm. or something like that. But outside of close family members, pretty much everybody who obtains a handgun in Nebraska has to do so by getting a state background check, either in the form of purchase permit or a concealed handgun. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's something I just learned. So, yeah. yeah, that's great information. So, then you talked about concealed carry in the first segment of the show. What is the process, then, to get a concealed carry license here in the state? Yeah, so... 
the Concealed Handgun Permit Act is what we call a shall-issue permit law. And, and the reason we say shall-issue, that's in contrast to may-issue. For a long time, a lot of states had permits, but you had to be like poker buddies with the chief of police or something like that. Right. And then, then you're part of the good old boy network. But that's not how laws are supposed to work, right? And it says it right on the Nebraska Capitol building, right? Equality before the law is one of the watchwords of good government. And so our process is supposed to treat people equally if they're eligible. And so the idea uh, is to get a concealed handgun permit, you got to take a class, you have to pass a written examination, uh, you have to pass a shooting test. Uh, and by the way, that class is something you're paying for out of pocket. That's not something that, you know, the government provides. Uh, so you're probably going to pay $100, $150 for that class. Then you're going to go pay $100 to state patrol. You got to make an appointment, visit the state patrol office, be photographed, be fingerprinted. Uh, they'll do a fingerprint-based background check through the federal uh, Department of Justice, and then that permit is going to be issued within a couple of months if they didn't find anything that disqualifies you. So it's a fairly lengthy process, and you know if you're you got somebody hot on your tail like a uh, ex-husband who's out to get you, two months is an awfully long time to wait for self-defense. I would exactly. Say. Exactly. So then, okay, let's talk about then in regards to the the. the what you've done in, in in work with the state legislature for the concealed carry here in Nebraska, mm-hmm. uh, how does that different then from this process? Because obviously, I'm assuming then we that somebody wouldn't have to go through a concealed carry license process then to carry a concealed weapon. That's right; they wouldn't have to. Uh, and the key thing is, we're we're talking about something that in constitutional law we refer to as prior restraint. Okay, and the idea is, we understand that that your rights can be excuse me your rights can be curtailed or limited after you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Prior restraint is when your rights are taken away from you before you've even done anything wrong with them, right? And that's not supposed to happen with speech. And, you know, people who believe in the right to keep and bear arms are concerned about that happening with the right uh, to guns. And so the idea of permitless carry is that we're just not going to play gotcha with people's rights. Do we hate training? Of course not. Senator Tom Brewer is an Olympian, okay, Olympic rifle shooter. He's one of the foremost long-range shooters in the world. The last time he won the world championship was like two years ago, okay? (laughs) The guy's one of the best in the world. He is probably the foremost advocate of firearms training in Nebraska. We want people to be responsible. We do think that people who are responsible will get you know, boned up on the basics, make sure that they understand the, the safety, uh, you know, in handling a firearm and understand how to put that round where it's supposed to go, right? The elemental uh, parts of marksmanship. But we don't think that the government should use that as an excuse to grab people, put them in jail because they didn't have some plastic rectangle in their pocket on that right. particular day. And I'll tell you, I had a client this spring, young woman, Army veteran, 24 years old, happened to be a black woman from Texas, had a Texas concealed handgun permit. Came up here to visit uh, a gentleman she's planning to marry in Omaha. They were pulled over in North Omaha for unlawful window tent. Her fellow was in the front seat with his friend. She's in the back with her child. She's a single mom currently. Uh, because uh, she was carrying, she immediately informed that officer, Hey, officer, I'm carrying concealed today. I'm a permit holder. But she had left her wallet in her other purse. Hmm. And so that officer arrested her, handcuffed her in front of her toddler, put her in the back of a squad car. She was put in jail, had to had to put up $7,500 bond, okay, all because she didn't have her magic rectangle with her. Here's a person who's had the training. Here's a person who's a veteran who served this nation in uniform, and they, they jerk her around with her rights like that because they can. And that's how the laws are used. And that is astonishing or should be astonishing to anybody that that's how they're going to treat a mother, especially in front of her child. I mean, who knows? That, that child may have a memory of that for life. And that's the kind of thing that our law avoids is, again, the state playing gotcha with your rights. Well, and, and, and 
aren't state each state has their own separate laws in regards to gun as well right. carries as well even if you're a concealed carry license holder right mm-hmm. so maybe a license that somebody holds here in nebraska may not convert over maybe to when you're traveling to california oh that's how right. do you take care of all that i mean how do so you- so constitutional carry laws first off it doesn't change how you're treated in a different state that's just whether we prosecute a particular crime in nebraska or right. not uh, in fact, the constitutional carry bill that Senator Brewer uh, introduced this year and the one that he plans to introduce next year don't actually get rid of the permit program. It just makes it optional. And what we found, and this shocks a lot of people, and it shocked me when I learned this, but I did the research, made the phone calls, and found out the answer. Permit issuance in states that do constitutional carry goes up, not down. And why is that? I, I'm not sure I can tell you conclusively why it is, but I'll tell you that, Wisconsin, not Wisconsin, Wyoming, since they went constitutional carry, they now issue 2,000 more permits per year at the state really? level than they did before they passed permitless carry. Now, I speculate that part of that reason is people have a lower cost of entry to start carrying. They right. get in the habit of doing it, and then they want to have reciprocity when they go to other states. Okay. And so they go and obtain a permit so they can enjoy the same rights in those other friendly states anyway, not all of them, but right. a lot of them, uh, that they can enjoy at home. And that has been uh, something that happens in a lot of the states that pass constitutional carry. So, in fact, I think we'll see more people getting training. I think we'll see more people getting those sort of supplemental background checks. Uh I just don't want to play gotcha with their rights, and that's right. what the bill is about. Yeah, and I, you know, from my perspective, you know, I, I, I appreciate guns and I respect them. I grew up right. I grew up respecting them because my dad taught me uh, that guns were designed to kill, right, and hunt, mm-hmm. and that's what we did. Sure. Was we hunted, and so we had a deep respect for that. But we also utilized the firearm. A lot of people who have never touched or seen a firearm are afraid of them, mm-hmm. think they're evil just yeah. in just by being a firearm itself. And um, I think for a lot. A lot of people, um, especially if they choose to own a gun but have never really utilized the gun, it would be good to be able to have them actually have access to practice with it to mm-hmm. understand what it actually does. And uh, it seems like to me a lot of people go out, especially during times where you have you know the potential of uh, guns maybe be taken away because mm-hmm. of certain laws and all that. They'll go out and you'll see a surge of gun sales for people who have never even handled a firearm before. Right, and that's concerning. I think. Well, and one of the things that Senator Brewer brought up on the floor of the legislature is uh, we recognize that training is important, okay? And he is a, a trainer. He's done it at a very elite level uh, with people from nations around the world. Uh, he works with a lot of people who are just at that very elite level of, of firearms training. And what we did was we approached the Nebraska Firearm Owners Association and some other pro-gun groups that are active in Nebraska. And we said, guys, let's reach out to all of our instructors. And let's build a, a database of instructors who agree to give two classes a year at no charge. Hmm. And what we're going to do is prove that we care about training, and we want to make training accessible. We don't want to just have people out there twisting in the wind, not knowing what they're doing, because we do think that that's part of your personal responsibility. I mean, that's, you know, liberty has to go hand in hand yeah. with personal responsibility, and we believe that. And so that's what Senator Brewer and others are doing to help is make sure that training is accessible to anybody in Nebraska who wants it. That's great. I love, I love that idea. I really do. It's 548. We're talking with Lincoln attorney and firearm law expert Dick Clark on Drive Time Lincoln on 1400 and 99.3 KLIM. Let's shift gears just a little bit. Um, we've seen these mass shootings in schools. I know we talked about before we started the show today. Um, just your thoughts on that and, and, and how best we can help eliminate or at least help curb, um, the potential of those things happening what is your opinion in regards to how we can best really serve our schools uh, to help at least possibly eliminate some of these situations that come up well first off 
There's no disagreeing with the fact it's an atrocity. Yeah. It's absolutely shocking. Everybody should be concerned about how to protect our kids. Yeah. I'm a parent. I've got three kids. And i got to tell you, that's a pretty big concern for me, just about my three. And I, I want everybody else to be able to know that their kid or hope their kid's going to be safe, too. The problem is gun control laws don't seem to really make us safer. Uh, defensive gun uses are more common than criminal ones, according to a study that was published by the National Academy of Sciences uh, Actually, during the Obama administration mm-hmm. with a federal grant in 2013, uh, that wasn't some you know pro-gun advocacy group that published that number. That's that's good social science based on a meta study of all the published uh, data that was available. I think a big part of the problem is that government creates these target-rich, gun-free zones, and it may be that there are sensitive locations where members of the public can't walk in with a firearm, and and I'm willing to accept that, even as you know a person who advocates for the right to keep and bear arms. But then if you're going to do that, you must follow through with a security scheme that is sufficient to protect those people that you are choosing to disarm. Right. I mean, of course, kids aren't armed in the first place. And when we're talking about schools, if we're going to compel by force of law parents to bring their kids to this government facility and leave them there, I think it is absolutely critical that we have consistent security practices, that those are enforced, that people who have to carry them out understand the gravity of things just as simple as keeping all the doors closed and not propping one open when it gets stuffy in the in the classroom, no matter whether that makes you more comfortable or not. We've got to understand uh, that it is possible to protect kids. Now, a big part of the problem, I think, is we've made such massive schools they're, they're much bigger targets. Right. Uh, you know, the, the trend in the last several decades has been away from the neighborhood school and in favor of these really large schools. And I think maybe we're coming back a little bit. But a lot of people haven't heard about a success that happened this past week in Alabama. You were telling me about there that. A, and I, yeah, let's get it. It was a that. school shooting that didn't happen. And that is the best kind of school shooting, mm-hmm. by the way. And I think everybody would agree with that. There was a person, an agitated person, who attempted to gain entry to a school. I believe it was in Anniston, Alabama, near Anniston, Alabama. And uh, all of the doors were locked at that school except for the single guarded entry point. This guy was picked up on the cameras while he was still outside of the building. The principal was paying attention to what was on the surveillance camera footage, immediately alerted the school resource officer to the presence of this don't-look-right person on the campus who looked like he was up to something. And that school resource officer immediately moved to contact with that individual. And there was, unfortunately, a confrontation that resulted in a death. But the good news, it was the death of the bad guy. Not a single kid was injured at that school. And at least part of that is because they had a protocol in place that is proven, that's based on evidence, and that was executed in a, in a way that was consistent. And I think that's what we got to do. And you mentioned, too, earlier that um, public schools uh, seem to become more of a target than, than private schools uh, within the history of, of these mass shootings. Yeah, and now, of course, public schools are more common than private schools, but we we you know, hardly see any private schools that have ever been targeted at all. It's almost always public schools. I think a big part of that has to do with the size. Uh, I do also think a part of it has to do with the culture of that school and and the sorts of uh, attitudes that people walk out of that school feeling. I think that, unfortunately, a lot of these school shooters are a product uh, of a system that is broken for a lot of people. All right. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to discuss with you before we close things out, we've got just a couple of minutes here left. Um, my question to you is this, and you're, you know, you practice this every day. Do I have a right to defend myself in my own home with a gun? And if so, 
um, what is the situation where that is a, where that is appropriate and not? Because it is get confusing when you hear about situations on the news where people are trying to defend themselves in their own homes and then possibly um, they get uh, prosecuted in some way for doing that. Sure. So uh, I'm actually the program attorney for a group called U.S. Law Shield in Nebraska, and it's Legal Defense for Self-Defense. And so I teach seminars on this topic. And the answer to your question, can I defend myself in my own home with a gun, is yes. But, of course, the devil's in the details. Uh, you have the right to use a reasonable amount of force to defend yourself against anybody who's using unlawful force against you. Okay. Now, if you fear imminent death, serious injury, rape, or kidnapping, any of those big four, Nebraska law says that you can use deadly force to stop it. If any of those four things is right on the doorstep, mm-hmm. about to happen, or perhaps even already in progress, deadly force is authorized by the statute uh, on self-defense in Nebraska. However, you cannot use deadly force against somebody because they stole your TV set. If you do, you're going to be stuck using the taxpayer-funded TV down at the prison after your criminal homicide <laughs> conviction, so I strongly advise <laughs> against it for practical and for, for moral reasons. But, yeah, the answer is you can defend your life. You can defend a third party. Uh, from the same things that you could defend yourself against. If you go beyond that and start trying to punish somebody because you're mad at them, right. that's where you're committing the okay. crime. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners in regards to this whole? I mean, I, obviously, there's so much we could talk about. We could go on for another hour, but is there anything else that you feel is vital for our listeners to understand? One more thing when it comes to kids and guns. A, a big source of children's deaths from firearms in uh, in America is accidental. And so There are guns in the United States. There are more guns than people. Whether you like guns or you don't like them, your kid needs to know about them, how to be safe around them. That's what I'll leave you with. Okay. Um, How can people get in touch with you if they want uh, more information about what you do and and all your services? Yeah, you can find me at uh, dickclarklaw.com and uh, contact me from there. Thanks for having me. All right, Dick. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming in. Learned a ton. I actually learned some new things today, which was really good, and I'm glad to to have you in. It's 5.54. We're going to take our final break before we wrap things up. You are listening to Drive Time Lincoln on 1499 and 99.3 KLIN. You're getting the 411 from DTL with Commander Jack Riggins on 1499 and 99.3 KLIN. Well, at 557, it is 83, partly sunny outside on Drive Time Lincoln. Thank you again for joining us this afternoon. I'm Doug Fitzgerald. Uh, the Commander's going to be back uh, in the studio on Monday, and I appreciate him giving me the chance to be able to fill in. I really enjoy it. And I tell you what, Attorney Dick Clark just provided some great information. That second segment was really good. Just some information I didn't even know about in regards to guns and gun law, and um, just really taking care of the responsibility if you're going to own a gun, uh, what that entails in your life, and how best to, to handle that. And I love his last comment in regards to kids. I think it's really important for our kids to understand that they are deadly weapons, and um, they need to be informed and and, and and taught about that as well. So, all right, I hope you get to enjoy the weekend. Uh, the, I tell you what, the weather's going to be nice. Uh, it's going to be around 90 degrees both Saturday and Sunday. Tomorrow night at Salt Dogs uh, Stadium, we're going to have uh, KLIN night. Caleb Henry, our uh, uh, sports director is going to be throwing out the first pitch. He told me it's going to be a four-seam fastball. So uh, hopefully um, he's going to get it to the catcher, unlike maybe somebody like Steve King didn't, Yeah, from what from, I saw in the video. the bone. Steve yeah, King from the bone yeah, last night. Yeah, he's our program director here at KLN yeah. as well. Yeah, so he he, had, he he didn't quite make it to the catcher, but we're going to hope that, uh, um, that Caleb does. Uh, we want you to join us for One Shot tomorrow. Uh, the show starting at 11 o'clock. We're going to have Tracy Morrow. She's a relationships expert. We're going to talk about marriage and her 
brand new book called Real Life Marriage. It's going to be really helpful. Again, we start the show off at 11 o'clock tomorrow. Well, thank you for tuning in for Drive Time Lincoln today. It's been a pleasure filling in all week long. If you want to catch the recording of today's show or past shows, simply head over to our website, KLIN.com, or use the KLIN app and find Drive Time Lincoln in the podcast section. Well, a big thanks to today's guest, Lincoln Attorney Dick Clark. I also want to thank Johnny Cadillac for producing the show. Sports Nightly is up next, and you've been listening to Drive Time Lincoln on 1499.3 KLIN.